0: Hello everyone, I'm DP, and welcome to Peculiar Pastimes. In some ways, we are all connected. We all need hobbies and pastimes to occupy our time. Some people paint pictures, play music, or restore an old car in the garage. Yet the world is a large place, and there's no end to the amount of pastimes that you can pick up. I seem to be a serial collector of these kinds of hobbies and fairly odd ones at that. Yet these hobbies all have a fascinating history and a very human heart that makes them just as important as all the rest. Today's topic Speed Cubing. There's something so tactilely fascinating about the Rubik's Cube. It's a staple of the 1980s that thrilled millions. To many, it's just a fun puzzle. But to others, it's a part of their lifestyle. Rubik's cubes as a puzzle design have changed very little since their inception, though you can now get other puzzle cubes. 2x2s, 4x4s, 5x5s, dodecahedrons, pyraminxes, and more. The general reception of the cube is that through most of its time, it was a curio, a curiosity, not much of a hobby. When Arno Rubik first debuted the cube, he couldn't solve it, and didn't even know if it was possible to be solved. Yet the sport that would become known as speedcubing emerged just two years after the Rubik's Cube's worldwide release. An American student from Los Angeles named Min Tai won the first world championship in 1982 with a solve time of 22.95 seconds. The thing about solving a Rubik's Cube is that there are millions of possible combinations when it comes to the cube, but the key is eliminating as many as possible. The classic beginner's method starts with making a cross with the bottom side of the cube. By lining that up and solving the bottom layer, you can move layer by layer and keep on eliminating variations. The more layers you solve and put into place, the less variations there are. There are countless algorithms to memorize and combinations that can increase your speed. All in all, the current world record for a single Rubik's Cube solve is 3.477 seconds. While that is certifiably insane, we must also understand that Rubik's cube records are usually taken as an average of 4 solves to account for the fact that some scrambles of a cube are easier than others to solve. So obviously, the much more realistic world record is 4.86 seconds. There's whole competitions with worldwide participation to see who can solve the cube the fastest. There's even a category for blindfolded solving of a 3x3 cube, with a world record of 15.24 seconds. A whole 45 seconds faster than my unblindfolded time. Now, my experience with speedcubing is much less glamorous as a hobby. My friend taught me how to solve a 3x3 Rubik's Cube, move by move, as I mirrored him. He sent me a word doc full of Rubik's Cubes notations that I then memorized over about a month. If you had visited my house during that time, you'd probably be more likely to hear the clicking of a cube than the homework I should have been doing. So what enraptured me with this small and slight cube of mystery and puzzles? Every hobby speaks to some part of our soul. There's something about the mastery and the intrigue that comes out of a hobby that ties us irrevocably to its nature. For me, speed cubing was about the technical satisfaction of mastery. I loved the sound of the cube clicking into the right place, even though it took me a long time to get there. I first started cubing, doing my initial solves on my dad's Rubik's cube, ripped straight from the 1980s. Its sound is grating thanks to about 30 years of dust and storage, but it's the one I first used to solve a Rubik's cube. It takes a full hand to turn each side, and it was quite emblematic of the initial struggle it took to first solve the cube. Those first few solves are the hardest, especially in a cube that takes a full three seconds to turn. I muddled my way through those solves, agonizing over each turn missed or messed up on, on an algorithm. I soon upgraded to a Rubik's brand cube, really the only publicly available cube that you don't have to special order. Its movements were more satisfying, but still grating. Less in a rusty spring way and more in a shearing plastic way. By this point, I could solve in about three to five minutes, depending if I got stuck on solving the third layer. I had the notation on my phone I could only ever solve if I looked at each algorithm as I went. I didn't really care about the solves though, because it was never really about the solves. With each movement, it was about getting faster. Eventually, I got to the point where the cube was slowing me down. My movements became too fast for the toy to handle, and it would sometimes fly out of my hands because I was gripping it too intensely. I found an online retailer specializing in so-called speed cubes, and I settled on the marvel of compact Chinese engineering that is the MoFang Xiaoxi. It gives a solid click when it turns. Things feel like they slide past each other rather than grind against each other. It was a fine-tuned puzzle-solving machine. This was going to be my time to shine. My time would improve drastically with this upgraded cube. My friend taught me how to hold the cube lighter and use defter movements to improve my time. I developed tricks and recognized patterns, but was always daunted by learning more algorithms. So it turns out it was harder than expected to become a world-class cuber. My time hovered around the 1 minute 30 mark, and it wildly depended on how my cube was scrambled. I once got my solve down to 59.9 seconds, but never further. No matter what I did, I always ran into barriers. I simply couldn't go any faster. Speedcubing became a peculiar hobby for me because it is frighteningly common in a way that I never realized. Whenever I mention it as a fun fact, there is always, without fail, another person that comes up to me and tells me their best time. A time which is usually about 10 to 20 seconds faster than mine at the very least. It's fun enough on its own to solve a cube and to be able to solve a cube. Most people who speak cube forget that fact. when When they're surrounded by so many people that can solve faster than they can. Most people can't solve a Rubik's Cube, even if cubing is a surprisingly common hobby. Cubing captures this ephemeral feeling for me, one of completion, that never quite satisfies. There's always a better time to be had, a better move to be completed. The movements of a cube have their own strange type of music as they click and turn. I find it satisfying, but not fulfilling. The pure, unadulterated joy of pulling off an impressive solve gives way to an almost unrecognizable melancholy of an ever-increasing and distant target. Perhaps that's a little heavy on the melodrama. Cubing is a hobby focused on technical mastery, but not one that can really ever be conquered. In this way, it's different from other puzzles and games. One robot by a team of MIT researchers solved the cube in just .38 seconds. That's a standard that no human could ever live up to, but I'm not sure that anyone is particularly concerned about it. Cubing is about personal skill, an improvement in a way that a game like chess never really could be. Chess is outsmarting your opponents and thinking two steps ahead. Computers are better at chess than we are, and that's kind of worrying to the people who play chess, because chess is about triumphing over another person through your own skill. Yet speed cubing is an internal art form. We share it with others, but ultimately it rests upon ourselves to improve and to make the score. It is whittling away at the excess until the final product emerges, producing a sleek and efficient form. The art of speed cubing chips away until there is perfection left. A crucible of experience is available to all who join the hobby. They share techniques and tips and do everything they can to help each other. But it's ultimately up to you. It's an army of people intent on improving their times, and by extent, themselves. Hi everyone, thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to leave a rating and subscribe wherever podcasts are available. Tune in next week to episode 2 of Peculiar Pastimes.